Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What, like it's hard? Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. I hope you are doing so well today. Happy Tuesday. We have got a gem of an episode today. We are talking very in-depth about something that we've never talked about before on this show. We are joined today by Anissa Telwer-Kacker of Anissa International. Anissa International is a really cool business because it is the number one global manufacturer of your favorite makeup tools since the 1990s. We are talking Estee Lauder, NARS, Tom Ford, Shiseido, Toothpaste. All those brushes have to come from somewhere. And Anissa is the pioneer in clean beauty, in products, in factories, in tools. And she has recently launched her own line, Anissa Beauty, and they are fabulous, cruelty-free, high-quality brushes. Anissa spearheaded initiatives like using synthetic fibers instead of animal fiber to make cosmetic brushes, and she's managed to reduce her company's landfill-bound waste by 20% each year. Really impressive, super efficient, and we get into how that is possible. And a lot of it is because she owns her own manufacturing facilities in China. She has full control over the supply chain, and she can personally ensure that her employees and her brush artisans, 90% female workforce, are paid fairly and working in safe environments. So like I mentioned, Anissa has a very long established history working in B2B, creating these brushes for big-time makeup brands, and creating tools that you really associate with performance, efficiency, efficacy, what you're using every single day to apply your cosmetics and your skincare, and then taking it one step further of not just making sure that we're not using animal fibers, but saying, how do we make the absolute best synthetic fiber brushes and the most helpful, the most useful? How do we untap this category for consumers? What are they missing out on? And she takes it one step further. So from this B2B model, she created a B2C brand-to-customer brand in October of 2019 with a focus on functional skincare brushes designed for consumer needs. It's a fairly new venture, but Anissa has made it her mission to educate consumers on healthier skincare habits. And she has some incredible partnerships with celebrity makeup artists and big-time influencers And this is my favorite little bit. There is a resource on the Anissa Brushes website called the Brush Finder, which helps you figure out which exact brush is going to meet your needs. If I can be transparent with y'all for a minute, I used to think I was really bad at makeup, even if I was studying techniques and trying to emulate what I saw on the internet of other girls applying makeup so flawlessly. And I realized it wasn't that I was necessarily bad or using the wrong techniques, but it was that I was using the wrong brushes. And brushes do truly make a difference in how you're applying your makeup, how you're applying your skincare. That's another thing that we talk about, the value of a skincare brush and the value of an exfoliating brush and a fan brush to apply your mask. What does the brush do for you? And you have to think of these items as, first of all, investments, because it's something that you're going to keep for five years, 10 years. We talk about what it means to take care of your brushes and to think of this as a permanent staple in your collection. But the value of cultivating that relationship we also get into today. What does it mean to know your brushes really well, know your products really well, know what brush goes with what product? It's an interesting journey almost of self-discovery, of getting to know yourself and spending time with yourself at your vanity and finding ritual in that. So that's something that I have really enjoyed in this last year, especially. I have found a lot of solace during the pandemic, self-isolating, just sitting with myself a little bit and putting on my makeup and learning how to put on bronzer and learning all of these things that I thought I knew how to do, but I had never really taken the time to properly teach myself or properly learn the contours of my face or get to know my brushes. And it sounds a little bit frivolous, and I admit that in this episode that there was a part of me initially that was like, am I being silly by putting on makeup if no one's seeing me and if I'm just doing this for myself. But I'm here to say that it's not if it's something that brings you peace and you enjoy it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with sitting and putting your makeup on and taking the time to get to know yourself. And in fact, it's something that I encourage because we do talk a lot about beauty on this show. We talk a lot about clean beauty. We talk a lot about products and supply chains and what does it mean to have an ethical brand. But we need to take it one step further. And today we're going to be talking about brushes. And I'll also say that the first time I realized that makeup brushes were 
animal hair based, I was pretty taken aback. I felt a little bamboozled, duped. I didn't realize that there was a vegan option that I wasn't choosing. And then once I started getting a little bit more educated and taking the time to learn about brushes, I learned that historically there has been a little bit of a debate between synthetic brushes versus animal fiber brushes and what's better and what's more effective and what should people be buying. And Anissa breaks down the history of brushes for us in today's episode, and we also get into the technical side of things. How are synthetic fibers created? What does an animal hair brush do that we didn't think a synthetic fiber could do? What does innovation look like in the fiber space? Why have brushes changed? Why have products changed? There is so much to unpack. So like I said, we get into the technical, but we also get into that self-care conversation. We also get into Anissa's personal history, and we also mention quite a few other historic female founders, and I think that that really shows the pioneer that Anissa is. I really do love her story. I love Anissa Beauty as a brand. I love the amount of effort they put into education and making sure that they are creating and cultivating a space of community, of allowing people to ask questions. You don't have to be a makeup artist extraordinaire to care about your brushes. You don't have to be an expert in technical application of makeup to know what works best for you and for your face. And if you are someone who had that same experience as I did, thinking that maybe you just weren't good at this, you should look at your brushes. You should say, why am I using this particular brush to apply this particular makeup item? How can I do a little bit better? Is this brush too dense? Are these fibers not right for it? And it's actually a really fun experience. I really enjoy it. It's a learning experience that I really like. And this is a conversation that taught me a lot about that ritual in general. What does it mean for me to truly participate in a genuinely ethical, environmentally conscious, mindful beauty routine. What does that look like? And we have to be talking about our brushes. So I'm thrilled for you guys to listen to today's episode. I really enjoy it. I think that you're going to get a lot out of it because like I said, it touches so many different facets of the beauty routine through the lens of brushes. And I'm thrilled to hear your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. You can follow wherever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And you can connect with me on social at Eco Chic Podcast. I'd also like to remind you of this month's book club pick. We are reading Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall, and we are reading with our friend Danny Washington, who was on the show about three or so months ago. She is a marine biologist, an educator, and I'm thrilled to chat with her about this book. So if you'd like to read along, we will be discussing the book in a bonus episode at the end of the month. I'm really excited about that one. And another little housekeeping item, our last episode was a Chic Chats call-in episode, and our next episode topic for those call-in episodes will be about family, living spaces, significant others. How do you manage sustainability in a home where you are not the only one making those decisions? What does compromise look like for you at home? If you want to call in and you want to get in touch, the easiest way to get in touch is probably to send me a DM on Instagram, again, at Podcast. but you can also email me and my info is in the show notes below. All right, let's get into our episode with Anissa Tower-Kacker of Anissa International. Enjoy! Today's episode is brought to you by Anissa Beauty Brushes. Anissa Beauty understands what touches your face matters. Anissa designs each brush through cruelty-free, vegan, sustainably responsible practices to elevate your skincare and makeup routines from hands-on to hands-free. The innovative design of these skincare and makeup brushes offer versatile application and fiber flexibility to achieve a great look each and every time. Use the code ECO50 at checkout to unlock the power of self-expression today. Again, that's ECO50 for anisabeauty.com for 50% off your Anisa Beauty brushes. If I may, I highly recommend the Crescent Contour Brush. It completely changed the way that I'm applying my bronzer and my contour. And I also love their exfoliating skincare brush. I leave that one in my shower for like a good exfoliating scrub a couple times a week and it makes me feel so good and fresh. One last time, Eco50 at anisabeauty.com for 50% off. Let's get into the episode. Anissa, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. And I'm excited because I was mentioning to you that I feel like makeup brushes in general are not a conversation that we are hearing enough about. 
So before we get into it, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into this very specific space. Yeah, it's a funny story. And I never thought this is where I'd be, you know, almost 30 years later. So when I was uh, in my 20s, I started working with a family business and my mother had an import export company. In that time, I'd met a gentleman who his family was focused on cosmetic brushes. And I thought cosmetic brushes really linked to fashion. So it was very interesting to me. And I was going to take a trip to New York. And so he was having a little bit of trouble selling his brushes. I was 21 at the time. He was 25. I said, I'll help you out. And so I called on Revlon. I literally looked in the yellow pages, you know, called them their general number. Can I speak to your brush buyer? And I just showed up this guy, you know, let me come to the office, which was really nice. It was in Edison, New Jersey. And I just showed him some brushes and I started to learn that, you know, brushes were very much um, like kind of a commodity. And there were a lot of guys buying brushes for these cosmetic companies. And I, I was perplexed by that because I thought how men don't use the product. So are we really getting the best product? So that's how it began. And then I started working with this gentleman and we worked together for about 15 years. He taught me so much about manufacturing. I started taking trips to Asia and understanding raw materials. I started really focusing on the design of brushes and having this conversation of, does the brush work with the product? So I started talking to these brands about product pairings and we still do that today. So sometimes the most expensive or softest brush is not what you need. And that conversation wasn't being had. So now 30 years later, here we are and I'm still doing it. And I, I love it now. I love a good brush. It can change your life. I really, really believe that. And it changes how we look and how we feel. Incredible story. And I have to say, I love the recognition that there were not enough women in the spaces buying products for women. It actually reminds me of the story of Sarah Blakely and Spanx. I think the story with her is that there was no shapewear by women at the time. And that's what inspired Spanx, that there needed to be a product for women. And I think it makes sense that cosmetic brushes need to be done in a similar way. You know what you're looking for and you know what works and you know what doesn't. And when you think about product placement, I think that's also interesting because when we talk about brushes in the beauty space, it's very easy to say the softest brush is the best for you. You only want to find brushes with synthetic fibers for whatever reason, or uh, what is the best fiber option for the product that you are looking at? So that also makes me really curious if you could set the scene for what the options are for cosmetic brushes, because there is such a range. So I would like to speak a little bit to history because I have been doing this so long. And when I started, it was animal fiber and the softest brushes would be made of squirrel. And for eye brushes, they would be sable. When, and then when I found out how the animals then were actually harvested or killed, it just wasn't acceptable. And so then I looked for substitutes at that time to squirrel and sable, and they would be goat and pony. So that would be some of the best fiber. And when it came to a goat, there'd be variations of the goat. So we made squirrel substitutes is what we called it. Again, it was like this marketing opportunity to really talk about what fiber would work with what product. And now since 2017, again, I found out how goats were killed, even though they're killed for food. To me, it just wasn't humane. So we really put a stake in the ground at that time and said we would no longer manufacture any brushes with animal fiber. But what we had to do for large brands to accept this was create a substitute. So that's when we started moving into man-made fibers and really designing man-made fibers to mimic animal fiber. Well, now everybody's transitioned you know, to these man-made fibers, but not all synthetic fibers are the same. Not all of them are extruded the same. Not all of them are made the same. Brushes are made by hand. A really good quality brush is cut by hand. It is shaped by hand. It's a funny thing to say, but when you create a brush out of an animal fiber, you don't have a lot of ability to make a mistake because the animal fiber has a tip, which is similar to like our hair. It has waves. It has a tip. That's how it picks up product and pays off the product. With synthetic, you can make a lot of mistakes. You can kind of fake it. You can act as if this brush is as good as this brush because they're both soft and they will limit hair fallout. That's what used to happen also with animal fiber. It would break 
just like our own hair will like it will break right split ends but with synthetic fibers you don't have those issues in general so now it, i have created my own competition in a lot of ways so everybody can do a synthetic brush or they'll call it a vegan brush but they're not all made the same and that's what i think we could talk a little bit about in this conversation i definitely want to talk about it with you i think Learning that brushes are made by hand was a real flashbulb moment for me because it's something that as a consumer, I never realized, but it makes perfect sense when we're thinking about the actual fibers that we're using. Of course, it needs to be shaped by hand. And that's something that is such a delicate process. And especially when we're thinking about the people behind this, it really mm -hmm. adds to the ethics of what it is that you're buying into. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the manufacturing process, actually, if you would, if you would get into that with me. For sure. So I was a partner to this gentleman, you know, for 15 years, and then he and I decided to no longer work together. What I had to do is build my own facilities at that point in China, which that's not something I ever thought I would do. So in 2003, we built our first facility. I learned so much about manufacturing. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of regulations. I found a partner, even though we owned it fully and it was all my investment, everything. I learned a lot about what it took to make a brush. So we were able to innovate more. We were able to really control the supply chain. But at that time, the environmental regulations were not as strong. However, because we were an American company, the standard that we had to uphold was very different than a Chinese company or even a Korean company. So all eyes were on us all the time. I was being audited often by all my customers. So we've always had to pay a fair wage and we've always had to pay attention to how our workers are treated, which I think is a great thing because it made us uphold a certain standard. Then there came the ways in which we were impacting the environment. So it's been for the last, I think, six or seven years, China, their regulations have been so much more intense. And we have really had to invest in the environmental manufacturing, how we impact air and how we impact water, the health and safety of our workers, the fumes they could breathe. I mean, there's so much in what we do now. and not everybody's doing that. So we have two facilities now. One is an automated facility for one of the dirtier parts of a brush, which is the metal part that holds. So this is, I don't have all my brushes with me, but this is called a ferrule and it's made of aluminum. It can be made of brass, aluminum, but we make them of aluminum now. And this has to be anodized, which means it's dipped into something which has chemicals. It impacts water. The way we used to do it impacted the groundwater. It would seep into the groundwater. We don't do that anymore with the automated facility. And also based on the anodization process, it impacts the air. So gases are emitted and it was a very negative impact. So now we have a closed loop system that will capture that and clean the air. And we capture the water and we clean the water. So we're in a much better facility. Then we've built a new operation facility that I'm very proud of that I haven't been able to see, which is because of COVID, which is crazy. Everything we're doing, the LED lighting, the way that, you know, we will heat the facility, the way the facility will be run, the way, again, the treatment of our employees in China, the culture we're creating is something we're very proud of. And we will continue to speak about and become more transparent about. So this is not done consistently when it comes to brush making. Yeah, I was going to say it's hard for me to imagine that this is any sort of industry standard because Correct. efficiency is really expensive and it's quite labor intensive to think about a closed loop system in a facility, in a manufacturing facility quite frankly, is, is wild. It's, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of investment on your part. So do you feel like 
the investment in the water resources, in the reuse, in making sure that you're not leaking any of your chemicals. Is that evident in your consumers? Are people choosing to buy your brushes because of your environmental impact? Or do you feel like it's because of the fibers? Or do you feel it's because of just the efficacy of the makeup brushes? Like, what do you think it is that draws people to you? Well, since we've been around for a really long time, you know, I'm been known in the industry. And this has been something that we have been able to, I think, prove ourselves creatively and through innovation, quality. We're not known to be, you know, a cheap source. With our cost or, or with our price, we give a lot of added value. I've always come to my, you know, my B2B customers. And I always think about their consumer. What do they need? What do they want? So even though I'm selling to a very large business and a brand, I think of that individual every day. So I'm doing a lot of that back-end work for them. So they've seen that. They've seen return when it comes to innovation and creativity. Now with sustainability, and especially going through a pandemic, I think we are able to justify. We are able to create more conversation that for all of us, we've taken care of a lot of risk. So when COVID happened, you know, we were able to reopen our facility in a pretty decent amount of time. Our facility, you know, knock on wood, has not had to deal with any COVID outbreaks. We are very much about cleanliness. We are very much about the transparency of supply chain. I think it's it's invaluable now because I do think our brands are understanding that their consumer cares. Where is my product coming from? Number one, is it made in a way that is not going to hurt me? You know, is it going to be able to, you know, get to them? in a clean way. I think that's the first and foremost. And then of course it's, was it made in a clean way? And then there is these now conversations. What did we do to the environment or not? And I think there's going to be more and more conversations about was somebody paid fairly, you know, could they support their family and what they were paid? And then of course it's about the innovation and it's like, it really works. And maybe one brush could do three things and it's going to last five years if I take care of it. I mean, that's kind of a cool thing. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's a really cool thing to think also that your product is something that people are using every single day for years at a time. And it also makes me think of the consumer side of it. Like you were saying, you think so much about your consumer and who is this person that's buying into your brand. And on the consumer side, not only am I personally interested in the ethics of a brand and making sure that it is a cruelty-free product and as minimally impactful as possible. I also think a lot about innovation. Is this something that's been done before? Am I seeing a collection that I've seen before? And I feel like from my viewpoint, and by no means am I like a makeup artist extraordinaire, but I think that you are able to put together something really special and different also in just the way that the handles are designed. There's a place for your thumb. I never realized I needed that. <laughs> or um, the one that I always talk about is the crescent <laughs> contour brush. I'm like, why was there not already a crescent contour brush? Why did no one think about this? And yeah. thinking about that innovation of like, what is the consumer looking for? How can we push the envelope? How do I repackage something that all of these people are using every single day and they think they know what they want, but they don't know what they're missing out on. I think there's so much like, innovation, creativity, imagination that has to happen on your end. So I really loved Steve Jobs. You know, I always, when I'm thinking about designing a brush or working with my team to design a brush, that's exactly, you know, like we didn't know we needed smartphones. And so I want us to be the smart brush. You know, I want us to be the smart tools. I want us to give the consumer what she does not know she needs so she can make her life a lot easier. I'm very passionate about that it's also really fun. Like when you talk about what you just said, like, I don't know why that makes me so happy. <laughs> like the crescent contour, when I first saw it though, I was like, I don't know, are they going to get it? And then I started using it and how easy it is to contour and you create three-step process. And that when young women or, you know, women my age respond to it, it's a great feeling, you know? I have to imagine, talk to me a little bit about the feedback that you get from your consumers because you are a B2B brand and you're able to have this really direct conversation. Are people telling you what they need? Are you hearing a lot of challenges? Like what is that interaction like? You know, we have several 
prongs to the business. So I've, you know, been working in a sense with big brands for a long time. We just launched our own brand, you know, just for the last year and a half now. And the reason I launched my own brand, because I wanted that feedback loop. I could hear from our brands and their PD and their marketing, what was working. I would see the reviews of what was working, but sometimes they wouldn't always take our innovation. They wouldn't trust the instinctive, you know, energies or natures or, you know, the trends that I feel like were possible because they're big brands, right? They're layered. They have a lot of uh, departments they got to go through. They got a calendar to rise thing. So that's why I, again, wanted to launch my own brand. So I could say, Hey guys, this is the intuitions I'm having about what I think beauty wants. Like nobody thought skincare brushes were going to work. Like they're so exciting. And now brands are taking them because they see them in my brand. So what's great is that I think I have now a platform to feed my creativity, to get it out there. And I am wanting more feedback from direct to consumer. So I'm hoping, because we just launched it, it's, you know, it's just gotten out the door really a year is nothing. I hope this year will be more of a conversation. Are we hitting the mark? Is this what you want? Have we made it easy for you? Can you clean the brushes? Do you understand how to take care of them? Are they lasting for you? I would like to have more of those conversations. I'm glad actually that you brought up taking care of the brushes because I think that again, speaking from my own, like not makeup artist extraordinaire, but someone who wants to take care of my things, I certainly do not clean my brushes as often as I should. And I think a lot of people are in that same boat. I want to talk a little bit about what it is that makes a brush last. How can you have a brush that lasts you five years? And sometimes you do see these makeup artists that have, they have brushes for 10 years at a time because they're high quality brushes that they do take care of. So how is that possible? Well, it's what you said, you know, they take care of them. So I think that depending on the fiber, like if it's an animal fiber brush, which a makeup artist may still have, and there's nothing wrong with having that, you know, you don't want to clean a brush with alcohol because it will dry it out unless then you're going to recondition it. When people first used to clean brushes, it was olive oil and like a surfactant, you know, soap and dove soap or something to break down the grease, right? And then olive oil to recondition. I think to me, it's just really understanding how are you using your brush? How are you storing your brush? If you're using it every day and you're mixing formulas with it, well, it needs to be cleaned more often. If you clean it properly, you get the excess water out of it, you reshape it, you allow it to dry properly, it will last, you know, for a very, very long time. You know, it may still, it may lose its logo, you know, it might not, you know, the color of some of the handle might not be perfect, but the head should stay intact. If you, again, you know, just treat it right, like anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you said that because it also makes me think when you mentioned that when we see these makeup artists who might have animal fiber brushes from 10 years ago, there is now such a case to be made for synthetic fibers being just as effective and just as high quality as what we once believed was only achievable through animal fibers. So could you talk to me a little bit about the innovation in the fiber space in the last 10 years or so? How has that changed so quickly? So the other thing, when we think about a makeup artist and we think about the everyday consumer, even though we want to, you know, be able to be technical sometimes with our makeup application, in the beginning with animal fiber, I mean, those were pretty technical brushes. And you have to remember, they're like applying on someone. But like you said, we have now figured out how to create a fiber in whatever thickness it is, whatever kind of wave it can have, and whatever kind of tip it can have that emulates payoff and pickup. But formulas have changed. So formulas that existed 10 years ago really have evolved. So you have these really interesting ingredients, really interesting formulas that maybe won't work with animal fiber, to tell you the truth. So that's also what's really cool is that the innovation in fiber will now marry with the innovation in product. And that's what I think you can have a man-made fiber. So it's all about the base of the fiber. Like if, if you know how to extrude again, like extrusions, like it goes to a machine that's like pasta and like how thick does it need to be for the application? So we're creating skincare brushes that for cleansing that may be a little thicker 
because you want to get a bit more of an exfoliation. We're creating brush head shapes that would work with new packaging and would really work with how to apply better, you know? So yeah, I've just been doing this so long. I, I just can, I could just get into it and like do it forever. <laughs> I don't know what that is about, but I love the designing of brushes. That's super cool. I have to say that I have so much admiration for how excited you get about these intricacies of like knowing that your product does not operate by itself. And you have to look at this larger space of how is the packaging changing? How are the formulas changing? What are people using brushes for? And this everyday consumer, you're right, they're not applying makeup with that same sort of makeup artist technique. And that everyday consumer doesn't necessarily have that same brush to product, you know, perfect placement mechanism in their head. So it's also almost on the education portion of the beauty industry to say what makes sense for whatever it is that you're putting on your face. Why are you choosing one brush over the other? And there seems to be, I mean, there certainly is a lot of interest in beauty education. And I mean, the rise of YouTube completely changed how people think about makeup brushes and the consumer. And I think that there's just so much conversation to be had about that community. But do you feel like this education portion that has come out of social media, out of the YouTubes of the world, out of Instagram, of people applying makeup on the internet, like how has that affected your, your space and your industry? Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere, right? So you can, anybody can launch a brush line. It's a, it's about art. It's about expression. It's about creativity. It's distractions. It's entertainment. What I don't like, the thing I don't like is that a brush was meant to last. It wasn't really meant to be a disposable product and it has become more disposable. Now the little brushes that even came in compacts, you know, forever ago and can still even women would have kept that brush. They would they would not have thrown it away unless they bought a new compact. Maybe they would then. But to me, a brush is meant to stay with you, you know, for a period of time. And that's the only thing I don't like. It's like, it's one and done. I'm not going to clean my brushes. I'm going to buy some more and I'm going to throw them away. And I guess there's a space for everybody. You know, you need entry price points. You need, you know, mass, mastige, prestige, luxury, premium, pro. You need it all. I get it. But I also feel like it'd be really cool if we were just like, okay, I could use this brush and I'm going to take care of it. And it's going to really make a difference in how I apply my makeup. I'm going to teach myself how to do more with it. It's going to create more confidence for me. I can share it with my friends. Like it really makes a difference in my routine. I think that's a more interesting conversation. I agree with you. I like that idea a lot of having one thing that lasts for a really long time and the I guess I never really thought of the makeup industry as having this disposable aspect, but you're absolutely correct. It's also interesting to think about how many limited collections of items that we see or why are so many brands entering the market without the proper vetting? Where I mean, yeah. the rise of celebrity makeup is unbelievable. The rise of celebrity skincare is, in my opinion, quite unnecessary. The amount of brands that we're being tossed at, you know, given consumer culture right now. And it also makes me think a little bit about the value in knowing your brushes really well and knowing that if you have one eyeshadow, you have one pan of eyeshadow and you have four different brushes, you can create a whole makeup look just based on what brushes you're using and what areas of your face. So also knowing your brushes so intimately is a relationship that needs to be almost curated in a sense. Like you really have to spend time with your vanity and with your brushes and getting to know them and having that same sort of interesting friendship conversation that you were alluding to. Yeah. I just, I was using my pinnacle foundation that's from our brand and I just learned, I knew I was doing this, but I was able to really use it as my concealer right now (laughs) with my eyeliner already on. And I was like, wow, thank you. Like, I was like, I didn't know I could also do this. Look what's happening with the point. I'm like, you're such a good brush. Thank you. You know? Yeah. It's, it's our friend. And I mean, when you think about how often do we look at ourselves, how often do we have those moments? It's when we're using a brush, most likely when we're applying makeup and those moments are really important, right? So most of the time we're criticizing ourselves that we're like, Oh my God, la la la. But I think there are these meditative moments in makeup. And I know it may sound silly, but the older I get, it's really important when I take that time to put on my makeup or put on my skincare that I'm present 
and that I can enjoy the experience and it, it becomes a ritual, right? It's these rituals we're creating that are sustaining that will ground us and get us through these crazy times and give us those moments with ourselves. I could not agree more. I have found so much solace in makeup application during the pandemic, especially, even if I'm not going anywhere, even if I'm not turning on my camera, it's time that I can spend to myself and I will sit there with a cup of coffee and really take my time and enjoy it. And it's like you were saying, a very interesting way to meditate on your own, spend time with yourself, show yourself a little bit of self-love and I'll be frank in saying that when I started doing this in my day-to-day routine, I had a moment where I thought to myself, am I shallow? Why do I feel like I need to look good if no one's seeing me, if I'm just sitting and I'm like, oh no, this is actually quite the opposite. I'm doing this because I care about myself and I'm doing this because it makes me feel good on my own. And recognizing the power of makeup to just make you feel better, I think is also, I mean, it's really impactful. It was like such a nice revelation to have for myself. Yeah. It's real self-expression also. And I think it's fun to play because we don't like when we're actually trying to get ready, we don't have a lot of time to play what looks good. How do I do my crease? Right. Okay. Can I do my blush over here? If I want to lift my, like, Oh, do I want to contour? How dark should it be? Or not? like, we don't have time. Like in the morning, like when we're trying to get out the door. So that's why I love, I think I, the YouTube thing and the Instagram, like, I don't mind it. Cause like, God, it's like, it's playtime. It's, and some of the looks are unreal. Like I could never do that to myself, but what they do is amazing. It's art. And I have so much respect for it. So you need brushes to do that. I completely agree. Playtime is a good way to look at it. And I also feel like the pandemic must have shifted your consumer conversations a little bit, hopefully in more of this playtime space, people, people looking to brushes to say, how can I get to know myself a little bit better? How can I enjoy myself a little bit more in the mornings. What do you feel like the pandemic has done to not just your, your brand, but to the, to the brush industry as a whole? So I think it was um, not great for the industry initially, right? Because makeup was down and, but now I think it's starting to pick up again. I think for us is that our price point is more than people are used to because we are a sustainable brand, because we pay fair wages, because we're doing a lot of things that people aren't doing. So there was first this kind of confusion, or there may still be like, wow, why are you guys so much money? You know, why is this one brush so much money? And so I still think we haven't gotten that across. It is tough for people to afford uh, what we're offering, but that's why we're trying to figure out ways of trial, of entry point, of giving people, because again, we own our own facility, that we can offer like this entry point somehow. So we did create like a, a mini skincare set with a little trio that it's a great value, three brushes with a bag and the brush heads are the same as the professional size. You know, I'm trying to, how do I get people to understand a good brush? And I think that's what the conversation needs to be. And I totally get it. It's an investment. I think that's what I also want them to understand. the investment will pay for itself. So again, these are big conversations we're trying to have when they can get a set on Amazon for $25 of, you know, 25 brushes. And one of my brushes is $25. I think it's hard for some people to understand that. Right. But as you were saying earlier, when people are choosing to buy an Anissa brush, it's because there is this value added. There is this ethics around it, you know, there's fair wages, you know, there's environmental stewardship in the brand and knowing that people are looking at brands more and more now in the age that we're living in for longevity, for what they stand for, for being upfront about their mission and being transparent. I have to imagine that more brands will be looking to you to say, how do I do better? And how do I show up for people in a way that they respect us? And it's so true. I mean, the brands that do want to work with us now because their founders or their celebrities or their board of directors does not want any kind of risk too with the consumer and they want sustainability. They want to do right by the environment. And, you know, if you create a brush that's long lasting and is a great investment and can do a lot, really give the application that you want, it's going to pay for itself over time. That's how I look at it. Like my concealer brush can do 10 different things for you, which I think is exciting. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it certainly is exciting. And I think it also 
gives you this opportunity to create community within this educational portion of the brand and within this educational portion of why is it that you are choosing to invest in a brush and why is it that you can have this for five years, 10 years? What are you getting out of it? And I'd love to talk also a little bit about community. You were mentioning earlier that you have this new feedback loop and you're listening to your consumer and you constantly have her in mind, what does she need? But how do you create kind of a sense of community online around a product? So that's what I am wanting to figure out. So we have, of course, you know, we have our social platforms and right now, I mean, I am looking for someone to join our brand that could really strategize because we have the different platforms. We have the corporate platform, the brand platform. We have our global manufacturing platform. We, um, you know, have a little bit of the brand ambassadorship of my story and the history of having a founder, a female founder. I think there's, you know, all these conversations we want to have. And then how do you create it where that you have a community conversation? I think that's what some of the greatest brands have done. You know, when I think of, you know, Leslie Blodgett, who started Bare Essentials, I, she was so committed to the conversation with her community. And a lot of brands do phenomenal with that. And that's what I want to do for this brand. And so I'm still figuring it out. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to succeed at that, but that's what I want. So we're just starting that journey. I have a lot of respect for that. And I appreciate your vulnerability in saying it's going to be a challenge, but you're ready to do it. And I think in general, there is, again, we were mentioning earlier, like the the YouTubes of the world and the social media space of the world and people interested in learning more, even if they are not full-fledged practitioners and makeup artists, you know, as we keep referring to the difference between a consumer and someone who is looking at this more technically. I think that there's this conversation around ethics that needs to be had. And I was mentioning to you before we started recording that we're seeing a big wake-up call in the fashion community now around fast fashion, around moving away from unfair wages, from unfair facility environments. We're talking about supply chain transparency and why is it that we are called to buy a $5 t-shirt when you could invest in something and have it for five years, 10 years. And that wake-up call has not really hit the makeup community and the cosmetic community in the same way yet. And I certainly believe it's coming from my perspective. I think that consumers are asking for more and consumers are demanding more. And the supply chain issues that exist in fashion companies certainly exist in companies in the cosmetic space. And as we continue to look more deeply, I think a lot of that will be through community and how is it that we are choosing brands that we align with as consumers and mission statements that we can get behind and and supply chains that we're comfortable with. And even looking at the cruelty-free aspect of brushes, why is it that if you have the option to buy a synthetic brush that is just as effective as an animal fiber brush, why wouldn't you go with the synthetic option? Anyway, long story. I think that in general, consumers are waking up and I think that transparency and community is going to be key to getting that movement and that conversation going. It's such, you know, when we think about and how our world has been built, it's kind of fascinating to me. And I've done it too, though. Like you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know what I didn't know when I started in this industry and manufacturing. I had no clue the grave impacts we would be having by not doing it well and not doing it right, just because a country may not be regulated. Uh, Some countries are very much behind, you know, when you think about burning coal or not, like how the environmental, again, like just everything that needs to be regulated and out of just greed, it's not. And out of history, it's not. How do you undo those things? And I think it's going to be generations that are your generation that have to deal with all this, have to undo and redo how we think of making products. And it's a lot. And so I think we all can do what we can do. Like my next steps are getting out of plastics, you know, like not putting anything that doesn't need to have plastic, like all of us becoming aware of straw. I mean, like who thought, you know, a straw would do so much damage. We don't know what we don't know. And until, and, but what, when we do know, if we don't do anything about it, I think that's when it's a real problem. 
So a lot of people don't know because they got a lot of other stuff going on, you know, but we are now very conscious and aware. So we're going to just have to pay attention. Like we can't go back to sleep. I agree with you. I agree completely. You don't know what you don't know. And actually it makes me think this is a little bit of a personal question. So you shoot me down if you want, (laughs) but do you feel, do you feel called to this environmental responsibility because you yourself are an environmentalist or is it more of an efficiency thing or is it like a moral compass like why do you feel so called to be a good environmental steward in your business when you're not required to be well I think what happened is we were required to be because we were an American company in China and we had a lot of visibility and China is becoming more aware and so they made us do it. I'm not like, I'm not trying to be like, I'm this great person. I never thought I'd have a plan in China. I never thought I'd be making my own brushes. I'm not your best operations person. But China started demanding that we do not pollute their environment. And I think that was a great thing that they did. Now, our consumers are demanding, right? They're saying no more plastics. Like our, if our customers say we do not want plastic, it's great that we'll be like, okay, we can't give you, you know, then they'll, but then there's this partnership Then there's a conversation, but you know, the initial investments I've made into the plant, I didn't know if I'd be getting it back. So the silver lining of a pandemic is that maybe sustainability will matter and people will stop seeking out, you know, manufacturers who do not do the right thing. Maybe, you know, maybe we're going to now be able to recoup and benefit from our investments, but it was a 50, 50 chance to tell you the truth. <laughs> so I no, mean, again, I yeah, it's not that like, I'm like this great person. Cause I don't think that's what it's about. I think it's about, I am definitely an entrepreneur. I am definitely someone who is focused on building a successful business. And I believe a successful business now cares about the environment. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Very powerful. Very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think oh. that it's, it's really humble to hear you say it's not that you're a great person, but this is where the future is. And I think that, I mean, certainly I got to say you are a great person. Like I love your story so much Thank you. and I love the commitments that you've made on your own accord. And it's one thing for China to have these regulations around what is allowed into their groundwater, et cetera. But it's another thing to say, I'm going to take that one step further and do as much as I can in-house and have this closed loop system and and really be as aware and conscious as I can moving forward. Because when you mentioned there are investments at the time, you're, you're not sure if they're worth it. It's really powerful to say, I'm committing to this because this is what the consumer is demanding. I'm listening to them. I'm doing this because this is what investors are going to be demanding. I'm doing this because there's really no way out of sustainability moving forward. So Correct. I got to say, it's it's exciting to hear it from you. It's exciting to, especially knowing that you know the industry so well. It's not like you woke up one day last year and you were like, maybe today I'll start a makeup brand. Like, you know what you're doing. And you know that sustainability is going to make a difference long-term. Thank you. So maybe you could be my coach or my advisor and... <laughs> You're so great. Thank you for saying these nice things. It makes me happy. Thank you. I needed that. And I we are committed to it. We can't go back now. Yeah, this is the route. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anytime you need a hype woman, I am here for you because <laughs> cool. I really do love your story. I love your products. And I think that there is such a space for this conversation. Like we were saying, consumers are asking for it, but there's also a lot of consumers that don't know what they need or what they're looking for. And as we move away from this disposable economy, I think that the novelty also of some of these celebrity skincare brands or short-term collections, or I think the novelty of that kind of short-term excitement of in the cosmetic industry is going to wear off and people are going to realize like, what is it that I really like and what is it that I really care about? And even when I think about like minimalism, by no means am I a minimalist, but do I need six different blushes or are there two that I really like to switch off between what are the other four for? So I think thinking about it a little bit deeper and saying like, Oh, I can have one brush for every need and I can learn how to use them really well. And for a really long time, there's so much value in knowing that you have products that the consumer is investing in you're investing in. And this long-term, it just feels really good. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. It just feels like the right thing to do long-term. I hope so. Like we're, you know, time will tell. 
but I do think that is the route. Like, why does a product exist? What is the reason to be? Is it just another thing? You know, what is the purpose of creating something new for someone to purchase, bring into their life, have on their vanity, have in their purse? What is the meaning of it for her? And so are we going to make it where it does have value, you know? And so, and so we are launching a new product, which I'm going to show you right now. It'll already be out. Okay. So when I launched skincare brushes, I didn't launch a brush that was the most like kind of known, which was a mask brush. That's what everybody understands. Like I will apply a mask with a brush or if you go to an esthetician and it would usually be that little white, thin kind of straggly little brush that she would like put on your face and put the mask on. So with all the masks that are out there, you know, these beautiful, like just enriched kind of lovely mask. It was hard to, I felt, pick them up with anything that was out there. So I saw something actually, I was in a museum and I saw this beautiful painting and I saw this shape and it just really inspired me. And so this can pick up. I know you can pick it up and also the handle. I love that you talked about the handle. If you wanted to, you could pick up product with the handle or you could stir product with the handle. And this just allows you to get around your face. You can get around the edges of your, you know, your skin and face and everything. And it's just a really, really pretty application. So this will be a very simple launch. And this is going to be our first new launch of the year. And then we have like every month, we have something new coming to just share with skincare and also just some sustainability type things, some storage type things. So it's going to be fun this year. We have a lot to get out the door. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And we want to send one to you. We're going to send you a package. So we're going to send you one of our new fan mask brush. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled. And I have to say, I love the story that you were in a museum and you saw the shape and you said, how can I make this work? And you're so right. When you go to an esthetician and they use those straggly little white fan brushes, I'm like, come on, do more for me. Let's get in there. (laughs) And I wanted to, I think we had, we know we had talked about, I'd really love for anybody who is following you to also benefit from, you know, if they want to buy anything from our brand, we are going to offer a discount and it's going to be eco 50. So they get a 50% discount. So hopefully people who are interested in sustainability that are following you, they can have this discount for the rest of the year. So they get a payoff to want to do the right thing. So we're going to make sure they benefit from, you know, from listening to this. Thank you on behalf of everyone listening. I am thrilled because I think that you were saying earlier, there's this entry point, this barrier where people say, am I ready to spend money on an item? Am I ready to invest in something that's going to sit on my vanity for five years? And I'm really, really thrilled that this conversation is going to get people thinking. And I cannot wait to hear how people like your brushes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Anissa Telwer-Kacker of Anissa Beauty Brushes, Anissa International. If you enjoyed this episode, I look forward to hearing your feedback. And don't forget that you can use the code ECO50 for Anissa Brushes 50% off. Again, you have to at least look at this Crescent Contour Brush. It is so innovative. It's completely changed the game for me, and it's the one that I'm personally obsessed with. They really do have something for everyone, whatever your needs, whatever you're trying to improve in your makeup, skincare game, Anissa Beauty Brushes can help you out. And thank you so much to Anissa for partnering with me on today's episode. With that, thanks so much for tuning in, and I look forward to chatting with you next week. Bye.